Queen. So Trey called like everybody at Saluda. That was the, that was the way he got that done. So I felt like, like uh, White Noel was still on the lead lap. We were actually lapped based on our performance. Southside and us, we like neck and neck, Southside and us. Centerville was like two laps down. They're, they're about to get lapped again. As you heard, Carolina, we DQ'd them. So this is an all radius Sunday. If you're new here, we do this uh, 10 times a year where all six of our campuses, we do the exact same thing. So they're watching this sermon on video this morning. And we do that really to kind of hold us together. Generally, our campuses are led right there in their own uh, geography to reach. We really want to reach the folks in that geography. So that's, that's how we lead them. But these Sundays, we kind of hold it together and we do the surveys. We kind of lead this whole thing together. So the surveys is a part of that. Here's a couple of things that came out of surveys that were really encouraging. Tons of folks commented on the baptisms that we just went through. Lots of folks and right here at uh, Radius Lexington came up in front and proclaimed Christ by water baptism. It was, it was a terrific Sunday. It was a terrific season, and that was true across all campuses. So it was cool to hear all those fun stories out of that. Um, a bunch of folks talked about Pray May. Uh, a good group of folks heard, at least heard somebody pray out loud for the first time, which was it's just really fun for us. If you know us here at Radius, baptism gets us most exciting where folks are proclaiming Christ publicly, but then when folks learn to pray, that's a huge part of who we are. And, and then ladies, the well, which was, was the event that was put on a couple months ago right here in this room, a um, bunch of comments about the well and how much fun that night was and how great the worship time together was as ladies. So thank you guys for taking your time, filling out the survey, and giving us feedback. That's kind of how it works. It helps us figure out where we're going next year. I read a quote, actually heard it from a friend this week, that captures really who we are as a church and how churches work. I thought it was great to make us think just for a minute. Here it is. Missional people have stories. Religious people have preferences. How about that? Man, everybody paused last service too. What's up with that? Like, that's a great quote. Missional people have stories. Religious people have preferences. So religious, religious is not in the positive in that statement, right? Like it's, it's folks that kind of check the box, that church is what I do, and um, end up having uh, <laughs> like really want to do church on their terms. Like it needs to meet their qualifications. Whereas missional people, they just have these stories. And that was what was really fun about reading the surveys is that this big group of people here at Radius have stories, have stories of interactions with their neighbors, have stories of stuff that's happened in small groups here, they have all these stories of things that they've seen, and that really indicates health, and that's what we're looking for. And if you just want to check your own heart, like that, that's one of the, are you telling stories or are you sharing preferences? Pre, two pretty different things. Now, preferences oftentimes come out in complaint. So that's one way to identify it. But listen, constructive criticism is a really good thing. So survey would be a great time to give constructive criticism, but it's because we want to tell stories, right? Like, because we want stories to happen in the future, not because I'm not getting what I want. Um, our mission statement here at Radius, if you haven't heard it, Radius Church exists to glorify God, which is plenty, by making disciples, by planting churches, and by living generously. And so when we do all Radius Sunday, I almost always say that because I want to remind everybody, you guys actually get to see it on the wall, on the way out the door. We want to remind us as partners, that's who we are and that's what we're trying to accomplish. We want to keep making disciples. There is so much to do here. 
we got plenty of seats open in this room. There's so much to do in Lexington. People are moving here by the droves. All you got to do is pull up to the stoplight on the way out. You can go ahead and testify. Lots of people moving to town, right, from all over the country, moving to our town. They're our responsibility. So there's plenty of disciples to make. When we think about uh, church planting over the next, over the course of July, we always have some of our younger guys come up and preach. So you'll get to, if you're here the, the, any of the Sundays in July, some of our younger guys will get to preach. You'll get to hear them. You get to hear a younger voice. They get some experience. You get to hear a different take, like uh, from a gifted standpoint. But you could also imagine there being a church plant in the future. Because that's, that's what we do. And we really want to build it into our calendar. And July is part of that calendar of preparing guys that are going to go out in the future and then living generously. It's kind of who we are, and lots of folks know us for that. If you, if you want the details, our fiscal year ends this week, so you want to get in on the living generously, get in. Like, like you'll make our executive pastor so happy. If you want to get in right here at the end of fiscal year, that's who we are. We uh, glorify God by making disciples, plant churches, and live generously. Let me pray, and we'll jump into this passage. Thank you for these words, Lord. You've used them in my life multiple times, so I'm honored to be able to, to share them with these folks in this room right now. They only have power if you connect the dots for us, Lord. So I pray that you would take uh, my words and drive them uh, deep in people's hearts. And where my words fail, Lord, pray that you would step in and speak anyway. So we trust you with them in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been calling this series Real Lives, Real Faith. It's, uh, it's a one chapter in a book in what we call the New Testament. Um, and it's a chapter all about faith. So if you know how the Bible works, you've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. I like to tell everybody they're both old, right? But the New Testament is newer. And, and so there's a book in there. It's called Hebrews. It's an anonymous writer, so we actually don't know who wrote the book. And um, here we, we land in chapter 11, and, and he really just introduces a definition of faith, and then he tells all these stories about men and women of faith. So we've told multiple of those. I won't review it all. We'll, we'll jump right in and read about this man of faith. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac. Isaac was his son. And so did Jacob. Jacob was his grandson who had inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. There it is. I'm not much of a life verse kind of a guy. Like People have their life verses, but if I had a group of life verses, these might be them. Um, this passage has spoken into me multiple times. It actually impacted decisions that I've made, impacted decisions that we've made as a family. It's a simple but powerful passages and if you were here last week you're going to feel like we're reviewing right because here's what happened to abraham he heard he obeyed we heard that last week with noah in this case it's got this great line that i hope will land for you and he, he kept looking forward he heard and he obeyed and he kept 
looking forward. In this passage, uh, Abraham hears, the passage actually says that God called him. Interesting line. A lot of times, if you've dealt with many pastors throughout your life, they'll, they'll say, I was called to preach. First time somebody told me that, they're like, I'm called to preach. I'm like, what does that even mean? What does that mean that you're called to preach? Because I just heard you preach. I'm not sure anybody here thinks you were called to preach, right? Like, God doesn't make mistakes. Like, I'm trying to figure this thing out. Like, because it's this, like, bravado kind of thing that a lot of times that preachers say, I was called to preach. And it bugs the heck out of me for a variety of reasons. The most obvious, I think, is that it sounds a little arrogant. Sounds exclusive, like he was the only person called to preach. And I'm just going to make a different argument this morning. I would argue that every believer in this room, if you're a partner at Radius, you are called to preach. Right? Last week, Noah was called to preach. The Bible says that he was a preacher of righteousness. What did he do for a living? Well, he probably was a farmer because that's what most people did, and he had livestock. But then he became a carpenter, and he built a massive ship, a, a boat, an ark. He built this massive thing. That's what he did, and it preached. And then it seems like he was willing to open his mouth and tell about the God that he had heard by building the ark. So we we all are called to preach. I never want to get that confused. That's why it bugs me so much. We named our church Radius because we felt like every partner at Radius is called to preach. Your Radius is your responsibility, not mine, yours. So I never want to confuse that. The other thing that bugs me when someone says they were called to preach, it almost sounds like they got like the bat phone to God. Like God calls them, tells them what to preach, and then they pick up the bat phone and they write it down and they preach it. Nah, everybody's got the bat phone. Everybody who's believed in Jesus can hear from God. As a matter of fact, he wants to communicate with you. He's clear about that. We talked about it a few weeks ago. We said that he's our friend, that he offers friendship, which is shocking. He wants to communicate with us. So let me ask just the obvious question to everybody in the room. Have you ever heard from God? Simple question. Good question to ask at church. Have you ever heard from God? And then, like, like if not, why? Why haven't you heard? I'll propose a couple ideas. Um, One of the things that we absolutely love at Radius is that we all the time have folks in here figuring it out. Like, never really been to church. They're going to check this one out. We're figuring it out. And um, maybe you're here today. You go, no, I haven't heard from God. That makes perfect sense because to hear from God, it assumes that you've believed. So in order to hear from God, you have to have a relationship with God, which means means that you have to have believed. And we, we do this every week. We put bread and juice up here, and we remind ourselves that Jesus' body was broken on the cross, and his blood was shed on the cross, and that made a way for us to be righteous and interact with a righteous, holy God. And so I can hear from God because of all that work he did. So if you haven't believed yet, man, we love it that you're here. We love to talk about that anytime. But if you haven't believed this yet, then you can't hear from God. Like you can, you can sing and do all the things we do, but there's no real hearing at a heart level yet available to you. Now, if you have believed and you're like, man, I, I never hear from God. Let me propose a couple ideas for you. Um, perhaps you need to train your ears. Right? Train your ears to hear the voice of God. Isn't it crazy? 
mom's in the room, when you walk in the room and your kids are over here and you just speak to somebody on that side of the lobby, like either your kid like starts running to you or starts crying because they've trained their ear to hear your voice. Well, there's this, there's this idea that we could train our ears to hear God. God often doesn't speak loud. He does on occasion. Elijah says that he spoke with a still, small voice. Now, he doesn't always speak with a still, small voice, so I hate to overstate that, but it, it's important to train our ears to hear the voice of God. And one of the ways we do that is by reading this book that you have in your phone or in your hands. As we read the book and we see God's words, I would, I would propose to you today that that book was given to you because he wanted to speak to you. And so you learn how to hear his voice by reading. And I'm, I'm going to be the first one to tell you, sometimes I'm disciplined at reading the Bible. Sometimes it's just dry. I'm sure I'm the problem. But sometimes, man, it reads like a physics book. Like, you, seriously, like you're reading First Chronicles at some point, you're going, oh, there's a lot of killing here. I can't keep up with all this. So like, it's just it's great. Like, it, it'll, it'll get a little dry on you at times. But over the course of time, by being disciplined in that book, you actually train your ears. This is what God sounds like. And sometimes it'll help you differentiate between your desires and his desires. Because your desires will be going down a certain path. And all of a sudden, you'll read a passage and it'll, it'll go, oh, wait, 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 God don't say stuff like that. That doesn't match. It's important to learn to hear the voice of God. Another way to do it is by being in community. So it's cool that you're here this morning, being in community, like, briefly. Like, we, we're here for an hour or so together. Groups do that. You can do that in a family form, right? Like, like, community helps you hear, like, if you're in community with somebody else who hears the voice of God, then it helps you evaluate whether you're hearing the voice of God. I don't know, we've been married about six years, five years, I don't remember, and I came in the house. Anybody ever just come in the house full sales mode? I came in the house full sales mode. I felt like God wanted us to do something, and I'm in full sales mode, and Cheryl's on the receiving end of full sales mode, and I don't think I said God told us. I hope I didn't, but I, I certainly made it sound like this was the godly thing to do. And then I sold my idea. And the idea was, forgive me, I wasn't the smartest tool in the shed at that point, sharpest tool in the shed, but like uh, I had decided, I heard of some friends that needed a vehicle. I wanted to borrow money, buy them a car. I was super excited about it. I was selling it to Cheryl, and she goes, that ain't God. <laughs> Sweet little wife over there. I'm, I'm arguing from my heart for my dear friends that need a car. And she's like, she didn't say ain't. I only say ain't. She, she said, that isn't God. Right? Like, like. <laughs> It was just this moment where I'm doing this thing, and my emotions were all stirred up, and she met it with the Proverbs, with wisdom. She met it with the Proverbs. It was just a, it was a cool moment. It stopped me in my tracks, quite honestly. I just needed to be reminded by somebody in community that that desire that I had, which was good, didn't match the way God would probably have me do it. We were able to get to it later, but just not right there in that moment really important to hear from God and community. Perhaps another reason you can't hear from God, if maybe you've heard from him in the past and you can't hear now, is maybe your life's just too noisy, right? Some of y'all had that little fake buzz in your pocket while I'm talking already, right? Like, and it, it's just distracting. This is constant distracted by a screen in front of us or the potential of something coming in on our screen or or even when we relax, we generally are looking at a screen like we're just distracted. It's really hard to hear. And perhaps it's your schedule. Like, 
Our schedules are nuts. Our world is wide open with speed, particularly in our country because we have so much stuff and resources, so we end up eating up all of our time. There's no time to hear or listen. These uh, verses in Hebrews chapter 11, the first time I can remember hearing them, I've probably heard them before, I was sitting in a little church in Anderson, South Carolina, and a below-average preacher preached them. I say below average because this, this is really important for me for you to hear. It doesn't matter how good the preacher is. It matters if you're listening or not. Right? So you can go get on podcasts and hear the best in the world and get nothing. Or you can listen to a below average preacher, which that particular day I was listening. Other days I was out of sleep. But that particular day I was listening. I was 18. He preached this passage, and it got all over me. It disrupted my life. I was, a, I was a freshman at Clemson. It just disrupted my life. I had to consider these verses. Perhaps the Lord will disrupt you with them this morning, but what's, what's interesting is that it was a discipline to be there, and he disrupted my thinking in this moment, just like you're disciplined to be here this morning. Who knows what he might say to you? So he heard, and then he obeyed. Uh, verse 8, the latter part of verse 8 says, he went without knowing where he was going. How do you like that? Get in the car, no GPS, just fire it up and go. Like, I don't even know where I'm going. I'm just getting in and I'm going. Anybody, some of y'all organized people are like, I'm out. I ain't, I'm never doing that. I'm staying home. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. Like, he, he went without knowing where he was going. Verse 9 and even when he reached the land, God promised him, so he didn't know where he was going. When God finally led him to the place where he was supposed to be, when he got there, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac, his son, and Jacob, his grandson, who had inherited the same promise. So not only did Abraham not get to build a house, you always think, well, man, maybe if I sacrifice in my lifetime, maybe my kid could or his Childhood, nah, not three generations away. Nobody got to build a house. They lived there as foreigners. It's a crazy, crazy statement. Faith requires obedience without clarity. It means you don't always know where you're going. God says to, to Abraham, Abraham, I need you to move. And Abraham says, where? And what's God say? I'll tell you later. Get in the car. By the way, it wasn't like a new Suburban. He wasn't riding down the road. New, like, it's just a, the family and some goats and, and sheep and their camels, and they're walking. Um, actually, they walked 700 miles to Iraq. We're at present-day Iraq. And then they walked 700 miles to Syria. And then they walked 800 miles to Egypt. Anybody doing the math? 2,200. South Carolina says 2,200 miles they've walked. And then they finally take a little trip north and get to, eat, eat, um, to uh, Canaan, the promised land. Like he went all that way just being obedient, waiting on God to tell him where. God offered him a promised land, and when he got there, Abraham had been going, oh, when? When is this going to be mine? What's God say? I'll tell you later. God promised him a son. Abraham's like 100 years old. Abraham, like the rest of us in the room, be like, God, how? How are we going to have a son? I mean, I mean uh, I'm old, and, and I, I'm, you never call your wife old, so I don't know what he said about Sarah, but like, she's older, she's mature, like something like that, but like, how? And God says, I, I'll tell you later. Right? Eventually, this crazy story of where God 
ask him to offer his son as a sacrifice. It's a crazy story, and I hate to confuse you with it, but Abraham had to have been weeping and saying, why? And God said, I'll tell you later. And if you know the story, he provides a sacrifice. He's working on Abraham's heart in that. It's, it's a chaotic story. We'll have to get to another time. When was the last time your faith put you in an uncomfortable position? I don't mean that you did something stupid and it got you in an uncomfortable position. We all do that. Like, yeah, you don't pay the bill. They charge you $25 for being late. That's you. You did that. God didn't put you there. The last time your faith put you in an uncomfortable position. Let me read you a little bit of the story out of Genesis. So Hebrews is in the New Testament. Genesis is in the Old Testament. Hebrews is referring back to the older book, the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, it actually tells the original story about this guy, Abraham. I'm just going to read you a couple verses. Uh, the Lord had said to Abram, Abram uh, eventually has his name changed to Abraham. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those uh, who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. So you got this pretty amazing story of a man being told by God to leave his home, and he packs up and leaves. It's all that they knew. There's some promises. He's going to be a great nation. He's going to have a great name. He's going to be a great blessing, but it's all unclear. There's not much clarity. He just wants them to move. And so he goes on this 2,200-mile journey. If you read it in this passage, there's tragedies along the way. There's circumstances that don't go his way. He fails miserably at times. But he left. He obeyed. He went on this journey of faith. Here's a great question. What do you need to leave? I love asking that because there's always somebody dating in the room, and I, I, I like, yeah, 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 I'm talking to you, right? Like, <laughs> you need to leave. Cut him. Cut him out. Like, and we, you know, we always offer to make the phone call. But anyway, like, like uh, that's not really what it's talking about here. Like, there's, always, there's always something like that that's jacked up where somebody needs to leave. <laughs> Last service, I started getting nervous. I'm not telling you your marriage, and I'm not talking about that. Like, like, you actually might need to leave something that's in the dark and bring it into the lightness, into the light. Like even in the last, during Pray May, we had multiple marriages where it was a mess in the darkness, and they needed to leave the darkness and come to the light. Let's talk about what's going on. You might need to leave the darkness and come into the light. But this passage, he's actually asking to leave, to take a step of faith, to go somewhere without knowing where they're going. God broke in on Abraham, who's living in his hometown with everything that he needs. He disturbed his life in, in a sense. He broke in on him. And he moved them from a place of comfort to a place of great insecurity. And yet he calls it faith. We live in a culture that loves some safety. As a matter of fact, it would be real tempting for you when you go to your car and you see your friend getting in their car. You'd be like, be safe, right? Like I always make fun of this, as you, you guys know. Like it's become so core to our culture. You just think about schooling. Like some of y'all got your kids in private school. Safety's a big part of that. Some of y'all homeschool. Safety's a big part about that. Some of y'all move to the suburbs. Lexington, the best schools, like, like because of safety. Like that's, that's kind of what drives that. There's nothing, that, like that's probably wisdom. 
I'm not saying any of that's wrong. I'm just saying it can get away from you. And the next thing you know, like, you're actually uh, wanting your life to be completely predictable, which slides to you trying to control it. And comfort becomes your God. So then all of a sudden, man, when there's this great moment where you maybe could flex and do something that required faith, you can't because you got your life under control and you're comfortable. It's, it's seducing, right? Like in the suburbs, it's like this thing. Like you, you end up in, in, in the right house with the right car without the right dog in my case, right? Like you got all, all the things that you need and you're in the right school and it's really difficult to break out of it because it kind of it seduces us. And so then there's this need over there and I really can't part with my resources because it supports my comfort to meet the need. Um, we set down our roots we make our friend groups. And so what often happens is I cannot leave that group of people because it's, it's, uh, it's a place where I'm comfortable. Uh, CB, who was in last service, used to have this quote where he would say, you're the sum, you're the average of the sum of your five best friends. Like, that's who you are. Pretty good quote. But like, think about your five best friends, add them all up together, and then divide by five. That's what you are. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Like, so for some of y'all, y'all got some crazy knucklehead friends. You're like, man, I'm going to have to upgrade the top just to keep my knucklehead friends. Like, like it's, it's, it's this great quote because it just helps you evaluate who's around you and how it's impacting you. And, like, if you really want to change, that might need to change. I'm not saying, you, you know, we're going to talk about being missionaries and having friends of all sorts all the time here at Radius. But you're going to need some people that really walk with God if you're going to walk with God. And I thought, man, just from a generosity standpoint, how we handle our resources, a lot of us in the room that walk with Jesus for a while, we have this discipline of giving, but like, like this is like selling something to give. Like it's not just writing my percentage down and, and, and putting it in on, on my phone. It's, it's like, like Abraham's in this spot where, man, I've got to give to that. I'm going to sell something. We're going to have to move. I'm about to sell something. That's another level in 27 years old, Cheryl and I are sitting in this little church. Wasn't as big as the middle section right here. It was a Wednesday night. Anybody grow up where Wednesday night you was at church? I, I was at church Wednesday nights, Sunday morning, Sunday night, like all Sunday morning, by the way. Anyway, it was when, some of that was really jacked up, quite honestly, so we didn't know our neighbors necessarily. So there's some parts of that were wrong, but there were some other parts that were right. I was constantly exposed to the Word of God. And this particular night, I, I'll give this guy average. He was an average preacher. He preached the same passage that I'd heard when I was 18. And as he preached, again, I say that not to, not to criticize him, but say you don't need a great preacher for you to hear the word of God. And so he preached this passage. And me and Cheryl sitting in the back. The kids' room was right there. It was a little church. The kids' room was right there. We had three little kids. We figured we'd probably be, better be close so you could hear the chaos or go rescue somebody in chaos, like whatever we had to do. And he's preaching this passage, and I can... It is like God is speaking right to me. It's like he's grabbing me in this moment. I've been using the word disturbed. It disturbed our little lives as I sat in that seat. And I, I don't know exactly what I did in the moment, but after the service, I told Cheryl, some of y'all, 
I'm a little crazy this way. I'm like, baby, I need to walk home. She's like, what? We got three kids. Mom's in the room. Like, yeah, yeah, sure you do. Like, you want to walk home so you don't have to put the kids to bed. <laughs> she was gracious. We packed up the car. She went home. And I walked home. It's, I don't know, it's three or four miles. It's in the summertime. I didn't walk uphill both ways in the snow or anything like that, right? <laughs> Barefoot. But I, I like, it was, it, was, it was just this really important season where I was wrestling with that guy just said and really what the Bible had said was God speaking to me. I wanted to hear it. Then I... Once I, I started feeling like I was hearing it, I, I was wrestling through obedience. We uh, put the house on the market, sold it. Um, it, was, it was this really interesting process. Cheryl loved that little house. I mean, I, y'all remember your first house? This one was $44,000. I love it more today than I did then. $44,000. I just painted it. It looked good. We had three little kids in there. We were making our home. I was winning on my job. I was coaching college basketball. I, this is my third season. We were winning, and people were talking about us winning. The referees were liking me finally. Like, it was like stuff, stuff was going the right way. Cheryl has actually had this ministry with college girls, and they were coming to the house, and they were hanging. It was moving. It seemed like it was moving the right direction. So it wasn't like we were going the wrong direction. We were going the right direction, but God broke in. He disturbed it. We sold the house. And, um packed up the moving, moving truck, which was way smaller than they are these days, and uh, we moved down to Clemson to plant our first church. It was this uh, crazy season for us where we heard and we were trying to be obedient, and we really didn't know exactly where we were going to go. My friend in St. Louis, we, like, we thought about going to St. Louis to plant a church, and and my brother was playing football at Clemson. He was complaining about not having it. There were churches there. He just didn't like them. So he was complaining about not having churches in Clemson. And so eventually we decided to go to Clemson. Stuff doesn't always just go just right when you hear and you obey. It's often really unclear. It stayed unclear. We moved down there. We moved into a three-bedroom apartment with three kids. Our under-neighbors hated us because our kids were jumping all over the place. Like, it was just this crazy season. I, I didn't have a job, so I started a landscape company. called it Yard Dog Landscape Company, D-A-W-G. Advertise it. I didn't know what I was doing. We lost money and time. I wasted it. I finally figured it out to pay the bills. So, like, you just kind of going, right? You're trying, trying to be obedient. I, I need to tell you something. It was, it was hard. We look back on it with great joy. First time we met as a church, we ran this little elementary school, and all they had were the elementary school kid chairs. <laughs> we lined them all up, and we had maybe 20, 30 college students, and their knees were up in their face while I was preaching, like, it was crazy. Cheryl, we forgot the bread and juice one Sunday, so Cheryl runs back to the house. We had this Ford Ranger with a stick shift. She's winding up. Be careful, you ride her. She's winding it out. She got a ticket going to get the bread and juice. Like, I'm, I'm like, babe, you didn't tell him you're going to get communion like, or cry or something. Do something. But anyway, there's a, it doesn't all go smooth, but our review of that in our mind, like we, we, that's one of the greatest seasons of our life where he spoke. And we obeyed and we left. As a matter of fact, we left what was as close to home as we'd ever experienced as a married couple. So what's he asking you to leave? Now let me just say this. When you read that passage, my expectation is that perhaps there's some folks in the room right now that God is moving on you on a subject and he wants you to leave it. And uh, I trust, trust with that. Now, on the other hand, it'll, it'll stir this thing. When you read this story inside of us, 
where the grass looks greener over there, so I want to go over there because the grass is greener. I've done that too. Anybody? A little older in the room, remember when you went for the greener grass and you just wanted to change because the change, I, sometimes I did that because I was lazy. Like I just didn't want to keep working this ground. I was tired of this ground. Sometimes I did that for other reasons, like I was bored or, or wanted to fix myself and definitely took my family down some hard roads when I was hoping the grass was going to be greener over there. Now, others of you in the room, like, you just want to go on an adventure. I'm like, I'm down. Let's go on an adventure. Just don't say God sent you, yeah. right? I don't say God told us to go. Just say, we want to go, so we're going. I'm, I'm down. Let's go. Like, don't blame it on God. Go do it, and let's, let's see what happens. And, and a lot of times, he meets you in the middle of adventure because adventure will put some pressure on you in some ways, and he'll produce fruit out of it. So I'm, I'm down, but there's really special moments in life where he speaks in, I just want to encourage you to obey and leave. Last point, and we need to quit. It says in verse 10, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations. How about that? He was confident. It's like he could see it. Looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. I'm going to skip a few verses down to verse 13 of chapter 11. All these people died still believing. All these people meaning Abraham and Sarah and uh, uh, Noah before him and Abel before him, and th these group of folks that have been faithful. All these people died believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. How about that? That don't preach great. They, didn't, they did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. So like seeing it was worth it. It was that good. Seeing it by faith was worth it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on this earth. If you read the New Testament, the second part of the Bible much, it calls you and me as followers of Jesus, aliens and foreigners. Like, we don't belong. This isn't our place. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for a country they came from, they could have gone back. It's a great lie. Many have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Pretty, pretty crazy group of verses if you have time to read it later. Um, chew on them. He was looking forward. It helped him to look forward and see the unseen, what God was promising in the future. And so he based his life on future promises. D.L. Moody quote I read last week. We'll quit with it. I want to read it to you again. Let you take it home and stew on it. This is D.L. Moody. Uh, he's, he's Billy Graham before Billy Graham. Super uneducated. I think he's made it through third grade, if I remember right. But God used him greatly. He says, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but at succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. How strong. Hebrews chapter 11 says, faith matters. In God's economy, faith matters. So then you go back to that question. Have I heard from God? When was the last time my faith put me in an uncomfortable position? Well, I got to be able to hear from him to move in faith. What about you? What matters? We'll wrap up with, uh, I don't know if you remember, but Abraham was made three promises. Great nation. I think Israel's a great nation. I guess that little tiny nation over there 
in the Middle East. Like, they're bad to the bone. You don't want to fight them, right? Like, they're they, they, they ready to fight anybody, anytime. And there's good folks there, and there's folks that are, are, are there are evil folks there. There's all, all sorts of folks that are Jewish in, are in there. But are they, are they a great nation? And you look across the world where the Jewish folks, the seed of Abraham all across the world, you think they're a great nation? Absolutely. It's a great nation that has endured time. So check, great nation. He says that he's going to be famous. You think Abraham's famous? I could argue he's the most famous man that's ever walked the earth, right? Like he's the father of the nation of Israel, so he also is the father of Judaism, their religion. He's, uh, Galatians says he's the father of Christianity, Islam claims him as their father. Those are the two largest religions in the world. You think Abraham's famous? Check. He's famous. But then it says he's a blessing to others. In Genesis it says, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you being Abraham. What does that mean? Your family been blessed by Abraham? You know that book you got in your hands, the Bible, or in your phones? Almost every writer, 40 writers, all, almost all of them descendants of, guess who? Abraham. Guess what we celebrate every Sunday? It's weird. We celebrate a death, but we were told by Jesus to do this, to do this in remembrance of Jesus and his work on the cross. So we do it. We're faithful to it. You'll get to do it here in just a minute as we sing. But guess who his great, 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 great granddad was? Abraham. Jesus is a descendant. Of Abraham. You think Abraham's family has blessed every family? Absolutely. Blessed the whole world and he's blessed you. And so as we as we worship Jesus, the Son of God, it's cool to see his promises fulfilled from a man a long time ago that just started by listening. By he heard God and obeyed, and he kept his eyes up on the future. Let's pray together.